0: You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your hosts, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab. Hey,
2: hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Grinding True Crime podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator for today,
0: Todd Fox. And the other host of the show, welcome back
2: to... Gabby Gabby. And we're all back. We're here. We're live. We're going to give you guys a show for today. But before we kick that off, let's let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Podbean, iHeartRadio, all those good stuff. Just look us up under Grinding True Crime Podcast, and there you can find some of our old recordings that we recorded and some of our recent shows that we've done uh, in the past few weeks. With all that being said, Todd is back on, he is going to tell us a story, and he is about to take it away. Todd, what you got for us
0: today? Well, today, first off, before I get to that, I wanted just to remind you guys to listen to the Girl in the Box three-part episode that was really good that Matt did, so check that out. That was the previous three episodes. And this one today, though, has to do with a city that the atrocity was so bad they changed their name right after to avoid bad publicity. So oh. this is the Wineville Chicken Coop Murders.
1: Oh, oh, what? Yep. Wait, what?
0: You're talking
1: about Changeling.
0: Yep, I'm talking about also an area c- very close to you guys.
1: Yep, I, my my sis from another mister lives around there. Yep, yep. Oh, so it
2: sounds like someone's familiar with it. I have no idea, so I'm, I'm in for a treat, so... Oh, we
0: got that. <laughs> okay, well, this is the area called Rancho Jurupura. It's actually um, Jurupa Valley, but it was uh, it was granted to by the Mexican government by Senator Don, uh, Don or no, Senator Juan Bandini on September twenty eighth, eighteen thirty eight. So this oh, this you know, it, yeah, this area goes back a bit. Um, originally known as Wineville, it is located in the modern-day Jurupa Valley area of an un- un- unincorporated Riverside County. It is separated from the city of Riverside by the Santa Ana River to the south and it borders the Ontario Fontana area of the San Bernardino County to the north and west. And You're Definitely uh, hitting home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the community officially changed its name from wineville on November 1st 1930 to what now is miraloma due in large part to the negative publicity surrounding the wineville chicken coop murders
2: what?
0: yeah so and there's there's also another creepier part about it if you're in the area maybe you guys can go tour it there's a spot where you can go still see a certain something um Ooh, you tell us Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, Gordon Stewart Northcott is who we're going to talk about today. Gordon
2: Stewart.
0: Yep, Gordon Stewart Northcott. He was uh, born November 9th, nineteen oh (laughs) six. Gordon Stewart. Yeah, (laughs) Gordon (laughs) Stewart. Are we hitting her birthday? This is like the second time.
1: On my birthday. What's up with that?
0: (laughs) That's the second killer. Am I right? Yes. (laughs) Oh man. Okay, so... <laughs>
1: what the heck? Watch out, Matt. <laughs>
0: you better bring them flowers. <laughs> so he was born in Saskatchewan, Canada, which is the like most Canadian name you could think of, and raised in Br- British Columbia. Um, he, he moved to Los Angeles, however, with his parents in 1924. Northcott asked... Okay. Northcott asked his uh, parents to purchase a lot of, uh, or a lot of a plot of land in Wineville, California. Now, this is a little bit in the future. I'm just giving you a little overview. On this, on this land, Gordon uh, built a chicken ranch and a house with the help of his father, who was in the construction business, and his nephew Sanford. <clears throat> it was a pretext, um, or it was a pretext to the uh, building in the chicken ranch in Wineville. That Northcott used to bring Samford, his nephew, uh, to the United States. So that's a little overview of how it started. But let's get back into when he was a kid. Um, right. George and Louise Northcott had just lost their youngest son due to an illness at the age of six, and so when when the couple realized that they were pregnant again, it seemed like a very like very bad timing because they were still grieving the six-year-old. Um, Luis was so angry she took out her anger on her daughter the oldest daughter and the husband she tried really hard to give herself an abortion from pills and over exercising um, George and her got into frequent arguments and sometimes he would punch her in the stomach Dis- despite the husband's efforts plus the mother's um, uh, efforts Stuart was born health, healthy uh, just months later, so go figure. Um, figure. Yeah, maybe that had some damage, as we'll talk about later. Um, huh? At first, Louise was taking care of Stuart, feeding him and nursing him, but then that changed. She actually became obsessed over Stuart, and her temper and physic, uh, physicality towards the husband stopped. Both George and her husband and the daughter enjoyed, enjoyed the new attitude from Louisa, the mother, and, and it came, it, the family began to actually get close and a little bit kinder to one another. However, <laughs> she would dress Gordon sometimes in girl clothes, all the way up to five years old. So,
2: uh,
0: it's kind of a red flag, right? Yeah, right.
2: yeah definitely, definitely, She was cuckoo already. Yeah, you she was. Some holes on some high hills,
0: right. <laughs> she was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Real so as uh, he grew up he had tendencies of feminine <laughs> traits wonder why um, and he had a f- oh, yeah and he had a feminine voice as well <clears throat> uh, he was called he was called fairy by the kids in school granted okay. his mother spoiled the crap out of him and would talk down to or get in the face of anyone who teased him badly so she was one of those parents that came to school and would just chew out one of the other children instead of you know fighting the battles for the kid instead of letting the kid fight his own battles Uh, So um, she stepped in? Yes, she stepped in and uh, created quite the scene in town and then at school as well.
2: That actually does not work well for the kids.
0: No, that just gets more scrutiny back towards them, you know what I mean? More backlash. So his father George was the only one to ever tell him no at all. Basically, the the daughter and the the, uh, mother always caved in, gave him anything that he wanted to. He threw a tantrum, give in. It didn't matter. Um, The times that he would bring back, uh, wait, it says, uh, oh, yeah. So the blowouts came usually when Gordon would throw a tantrum and he didn't get what he wanted to, and that would start the arguments with the family again. Um, Mm -hmm. Stuart would throw tantrums even into his teenager years. Um, Like I said, even the sister had spoiled him. It was ridiculous. So, Stewart, however, became really flamboyant and began to play the piano in town. And he really got good and began to get paid for playing at local uh, events in town. So, they were in the Los Angeles area at this time. Um, Okay. However, at the time of 17, close to 18, he began to have a want to get the attention of young boys. He bought a convertible at the time in 1921 and began to drive around town... With candy and toys offering young boys a ride. That same year, although... Uh, what was that?
1: No, I'm like nasty.
0: Mm-hmm. He was already starting. Um. Hey. That same year, although not shown much around his face, his body became overly hairy. And kids and adults Good. would start calling him the ape boy. So, <laughs> yeah. So being made oh, fun of... 17.
2: He's still 17 at this time,
0: right? Yeah, he's still 17, but he's gotten like I guess puberty gave him a death blow and he's like super hairy and he's flamboyant and he has he talks feminine. So
2: Yeah, that's that's definitely not an
0: attractive man. Yeah, and back then, like I said, you can go back to like the 90s and there was still like a you you, you could say certain slurs and it wouldn't, you know, it was normal. Imagine back then, you know what I mean, towards mm. people that were homosexual or whatever. Mm-hmm. So being made fun of uh, while tr- uh, trying to stand out as a preppy, uh, he was trying to stand out, or trying not to stand out, but he was preppy and flamboyant, and he played the piano. So he, there's no way of getting around that.
2: There's no masculine there.
0: <laughs> nope, not at all. Uh, in August, we fast-forward to 1924. His family moved from Canada, like I said, to Los Angeles, where uh, Stewart worked at a car dealership and played in local clubs at night uh, and uh, played on the piano uh, in the clubs to also make uh, money for the the family when they were just starting out. Um, His charming wit would actually find him a friend that he got close with. He became real good friends with a fellow uh, 18-year-old boy by the name of Claude. Um, The two hung out a lot, and Stuart often went over to the family's house having dinner and hanging out. All normal, right? But... Mm -hmm. However, Stuart was going over for different reasons. Claude's mm. 10-year-old brother that he found himself attracted to. At this time, oh. yeah, <laughs> not good. I was going
1: to think it was Claude and him.
0: I thought it was Claude, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's that Claude's too old for him, apparently. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So um, at this time, Stuart began to molest the younger brother every time he would stay over or come by. So he's already doing some dastardly stuff. Um, and I forgot to have you warn the people about the crimes against children in this one. So, oops, my bad.
2: I uh, <laughs> don't
0: know. Yeah, exactly. Stewart had an obsession with a boy, and when he would have a tantrum, even at his age, with his parents, the only thing that would calm him down is playing the boy's favorite song on the piano. There was no timetable on how long the abused... Uh, the abusiveness towards claude's brother continued however on july 25th 1925 the scott family which was claude's family um caught caught uh, northcott in in the uh, process of doing some pretty dastardly things i guess when they checked in on him in the room or something and they called the police um scott was arrested northcott was arrested problem is um charges were dropped for whatever reason. So there is no record of any reason why it was dropped, but here is that case in point where something happens where you can stop somebody if charges are filed, if they're arrested and for whatever reason, they get that one lucky break and it starts them off into heinous behavior.
2: Yep.
0: So yeah. Yeah so to forget the young boy and after an embarrassing arrest Stewart got a job at a bag, as a grocery store bagger at a Ralph's grocery store this job would, uh, makes, makes only the story because at the time guess who was one of the kids that would come by with his mom to that particular Ralph's grocery store and if you know the story like I'm sure Gabby does in the movie Changeling the main character is the boy Walter Collins and his mom, yeah. and, and Walter Collins actually makes his first appearance to uh, to Mister Northcott, and Northcott sees him, and uh, he's immediately smitten by him and wants to try to get close to Collins. And this will come up later on as she as he winds up being the famous son of Christine Collins, who it, which she has her own story. We'll get into real quick. Um, okay.
2: I'm lost, but y'all fill me
0: in. Yeah, I'll fill you in, but just just try to stay with it, man. Just try to stay with it. I'm I'm in. Okay. (laughs) Um, So Clint Eastwood would make that 2008 movie called Changeling that would pretty much sum up everything, but we're going to get into more of what Northcott did and what his nephew did. So as we move on, back to our story, Stewart's fascination with boys, urges, and, and just sexual desires is getting too much. So at the time, there was an area, a small couple blocks in Pasadena called Orojo. And it was an area with, that was a seedy area, sort of like just like your back streets. So you didn't want to go down to, to nowadays with drugs and, you know, prostitutes. It was like that, but with um, boys turning tricks for older men. Um, yeah, Stuart would frequent this area and solic- solicit teenage boys for sex. At the time, gay was illegal and looked down on. So Stuart was confronted, uh, Stuart at this time confronted a doctor in the neighborhood with that mindset of trying to change his ways of thinking and then also get like he was fascinated by uh, the doctor and, and how he practiced on um, dead bodies and, and also the way, you know, the way uh, the hot, like he was giving the doctor the impression that he wanted to turn his life around and also be a practitioner himself. Um, Stuart would ask Tracy, which was the doctor, about what happens to bodies when they would die, however. And Stuart asked a question that should have thrown red flags to the doctor when he asked how to properly dispose of a body. <laughs>
1: what? Wow. Yeah, that's a and red flag. Saw all right. They didn't suspect from
0: that? No, the doctor was probably like, wow, this guy has a lot of questions.
1: oh <laughs> <Well>, that's <dark. laughs>
0: Yeah. Very
1: fascinating. Yeah we have,
0: we have a lot of idiots in our stories. That's for sure. Whether it's Gabby's oh. story, whether it's ours my story or Matt's, there's always the the bungling cops or the idiots that that don't stop things when they should. That's always <laughs> that's always the case. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1926, um, after he actually got some answers on how to properly dispose of a body, get rid of the body. Uh, how a body decomposes, he stopped seeing the doctor. And the doctor, again, did not see this as a red flag. So in 1926, that's when he asked his father about getting some land in Wineville that he can start a chicken farm and grow his own, you know, get responsibilities because he was trying to prove to his dad also that he wanted to be a productive human being in society and he was tired of living at home for free and getting, you know. He had a job, a part-time thing, but he wanted to do something on his own. So his father was like, hey, man, let's do it, you know. So, how, huh?
2: No, I was going to say, how old is he by now? Has years passed or is he still around 17,
0: 18? He's around 19 or 20 around this time. Okay. Yeah. So in the spring of 19... 19- so
1: wants to be independent now.
0: Yeah, he wants to be independent. He wants to be alone, but... but he had ulterior motives but his parents thought oh he's just doing the right thing so
1: give him the money build him the house our son is growing up
0: yes exactly so in the spring of 1926 the family purchased that land in wineville which sat on five acres so before he got the chickens he traveled back to canada to visit his sister um, or his his aunt and and his uncles over there in canada actually it was his father's side of the family Stuart asked um, his aunt if he could take her um, 14-year-old boy, Samford, because uh, he wanted to help him grow up into a man and start getting his hands dirty. And it would be, you know, the two of them down there, and they could bond together. So...
2: Literally get his
0: hands dirty, yes. Yep. Oh, i <laughs> I see what you did there.
2: <laughs> Got it. <laughs>
0: But he, he wanted to have you know alone time with his nephew, and he felt he could help him run the chicken farm. So again, um, the family is smitten with freaking North with uh, Stewart, and they want to give him whatever he whatever he wants. So Sanford <clears throat> did not act. Uh, Sanford did not like the idea because he would be all alone with his uncle, who always weirded him out in the past, and he felt like something was not right with him mentally. Um Sanford's sister, uh, or um what do you call it, uh, Northcott's uh, aunt also babied him and and would let her uh, would let him go with uh, the nineteen year old uh to to freaking California. She just said, Okay, go for it. And Sanford's nineteen uh Sanford also hated how Stewart would, would uh stand always too close to him and uncomfortable. So Samford was not liking the fact that not only did his mom say it was okay to go, the fact that he was visibly shaken and, and was telling them, I, "I don't feel comfortable," and nobody listened to him. Um, wow. Yeah. So actually, not not Sam uh, not uh, Dennett not Stewart was twenty one. I'm sorry, I'm confusing myself. Um, his Samford's older sister was nineteen and she still lived at home. Samford immediately complained to her to his older sister who was 19, Jesse, that was her name, uh, to try to convince her to talk to her parents to say, no, we're not going to let him go. You know, don't let him go. She's she's trying to fight for her brother. As she did this, she got backlash from her mo- mother and father, and they both told her to stand down and that Sanford's going to go and become a man out in California. Hmm. So <clears throat> they should have listened. Poor kid. Yep. And you'll see what, what uh, their unfortunate uh, actions caused poor Samford. Um, Jessie promised, though, Samford, that she would come and visit him when it, whenever she could. She had a small job and would try to get down there. Remember, from Canada, from the West Coast, you either have to, you know, take the rails or some sort of, like, drive or take a, a boat. So it was going to take her a while to get down there to save up and to go down. That's a long trip. Um, mm mm-hmm. So either way, uh, Sanford promised to write her, and he was off. And the two set off for Wineville. When they got to Wineville, uh, the, the family had already purchased the area. It was five acres of land. There was nothing else out there, and their, fir- their closest neighbors were miles away. Um, wow. Sanford spent the first month with Stewart and the father building the, the uh, one-and-a-half-bedroom cottage house. And building six chicken coops on the ranch as well, in different areas to, um, to house the chickens and raise them and you know the eggs and all that other stuff. So not much furniture was in the house besides Stewart's piano and a bed and riggedy old couches or whatever. And a garage where uh, Sanford's convertible was parked, not Sanford's uh, Stewart's convertible. Uh, another thing that the, the problem was it was super remote. And it was far from the city, too. So not only were you, like, two, three miles from your neighbor, you're far from any kind of city. So they were on the outskirts of Wineville. Um,
1: Where nobody could hear you.
0: Yes, exactly. And that's exactly what, what Stuart wanted. Um, mm-hmm. The first night after George, uh, or that, and so once the house was built, once the chicken coops were built, the father who had been staying there, too, he took off for Los Angeles and left the two alone. So, the first night that George left the house with Sanford there alone with his son, um, Sanford made beans, a big crock pot of it with some uh, cornbread, and um, Stuart uh, demanded to be served first. As he did, he uh, proceeded to eat almost all of the beans and the cornbread, leaving just scraps and a little bit left for Sanford on purpose um yeah and after dinner Stuart was on the piano just playing away all happy and fed and samford uh did his usual rounds checking the chickens and uh once he came back inside Stuart was in the bedroom leaving him just the couch and uh but then but then he felt the, uh, and he felt like really he felt really like um, betrayed in a way because he felt like this is how it's going to be you know like it was like sort of like shattering to the poor 14 year old Sanford he's like damn you know like he's going to take advantage of me he's going to want to tease me he's going to want to do this kind of stuff and
1: he just brought him to be his maid
0: pretty much and the way that flamboyant people are I'm just saying they don't like to get their hands dirty so guess who's going to do all the work while they're down there
1: Stanford
0: yep Sanford good old Samford so the next night Samford was shocked after the same stuff was repeated you know Stuart ate the same food uh, or same amount of food leaving him just with scraps and but the thing that was shocked him though was that Samford was given the bed and he said no go ahead I'm just going to stay out here and play on my piano you can go um, and sleep in the bed it's your turn and Samford found this really weird so he went to sleep and kind of sleeping with one eye open and then he's, I would <laughs> yeah. Um he woke up to Stuart uh breathing heavy on his neck. Ew. Yeah. So realizing now Sanford was just gonna be a victim, he would get sexually abused three times or more during a week. And he would tell him he was now a fairy. And no one would believe him since he no longer was pure. So, he used the whole homosexual angle on him and the whole biblical, like, you're not pure anymore. So, you're just as bad as me.
1: So, he could be ashamed and then he wouldn't
0: get hold on. Yeah. I mean, this guy was breaking him down mentally. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, he okay. can... He convinced Samford that he was also committing a wrong and others would view him as a pervert. Stewart would goof off during the day while Samford worked all day on the farm. And Stewart didn't enroll him in the high school or in the school in general like he promised the family. Plus the sexual abuse morphed into actual physical abuse with beatings. He would sometimes be beat with a tire iron... And one time, he poured hot water on Samford, scolding him and leaving a scar. Yes. Um, Samford would have to yell and scream as hard as he could every time so that Stuart would stop. He would realize that this was the only time that he would stop is if he yelled loud enough or hard enough. Stuart would have also... Um, have. S- Stewart also changed things up by having Stanford beat him. He liked the pain Wait, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he, he would have him... He would make him throw punches at him or hit him with certain things.
1: He's creepy. Oh. Yeah.
0: Whoa. Yeah, this, this, those kind of things weren't brought up in the movie.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, I, don't, I didn't see anything about that. Dominatrix.
0: <laughs> yeah. And he liked to switch roles apparently, so... um He was enjoying the pain so much that it gave him sexual gratification. Um, Stuart would have Samford write home letters and he dictated and stated how great farm life was, growing vegetables and enjoying the sun, also going to school and meeting new friends. And he was loving the fact that Stuart took such good care of him. And they also went into town and enjoyed Stuart's piano playing in front of all the other people in town, which... All of course were lies.
1: That is so messed
0: up. Yeah. So, wow. and so this is like months. This is months going on now that this is happening. <clears throat> um. So, um, and the beatings actually stopped for a little while, and um, at the end of uh, August 1927, when Junior Thompson were a loc, uh, were at a local park, Junior was a little kid he wandered off from his family then a strange young man offered the boy candy then asked the boy to if he could tickle him the boy wanted to walk away but Stewart said he has a dog or i have a dog uh come see my dog it's in the car and Stewart was the 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 guy trying to abduct the little kid so the so the boy went to the car to see the dog as soon as he got to the car. Stuart tried to put him in the car, and, the, and little junior fought and screamed so loud that his father charged the car with a knife that he had in his hand from making sandwiches, and Stuart let the boy go and drove off. Stuart wanted the little boy really bad and because um, he was getting a little bored of Samford. So when he drove back from L.A. or the Pasadena area to go uh, with no kid... He took it out on Sanford, beat the crap out of him. Um, hey. Yeah.
1: Oh, So he didn't get caught.
0: No, he didn't get caught He's that time either. So, um, what do you think? What do you think this close call did for Stewart? I think it
2: enhanced his his desire, and he wanted to go even further.
0: Yep. What do you think, Gabby?
1: I think the same like he was not ready to give up he was not going to accept that he was defeated by not getting
0: what he wanted so he was going to look for what he wanted and, and get it exactly he um unfortunately didn't have the mindset of giving up you guys are right um this close call taught stewart a lesson so on february 1st 1928 we mentioned a date stewart came up with a plan and that day stewart uh, returned from los angeles with a smile on his face Samford had been watching the farm all day and knew knew anything that brought a smile to his uncle's face was a bad thing. He drove up in the convertible smiling. He He yelled as Samford was finishing up his chores for Samford to come to the car. He said, look at the pot, which Samford reluctantly approached the car. And as he looked in the pot, what do you think he saw?
2: A boy. A couple of boys tied
0: up. We're no we're talking about we're talking about like a pot, like that you would cook like stew in or something. Oh,
2: oh, oh, oh. A pot pot. Oh okay. Mm-hmm. Uh hey. Beans.
0: <laughs> he wishes it was beans.
2: <laughs> he felt dismembered body parts.
0: Close. Very close. Uh, it was a Ooh. severed head.
2: Oh what?
0: yep.
1: Of a little
0: boy yep um, Sanford immediately threw up and all he could hear was his brother his uncle laughing in the most evil diabolical laugh imaginable um, he Stuart said when he when Sanford calmed down that the boy attacked him so he shot the boy then chopped his head off so that nobody can identify the body and he told him the rest of the body was in the trunk so, there's a bo- there's a body in the trunk of the convertible. There's a severed head in a pot that's now in the car. What do you think these two do now to um, remedy the situation? Especially, if, or what do you think they do with the head, is basically what I should ask. I think
2: they cook the head and eat it. <laughs> and they, they, they chop up the body part and feed it to their chickens.
0: Those are pretty good answers but no those don't happen what do you, what do you got gabby
1: i think they um they definitely bury the body because if i remember correctly in the story he would bury them under the chicken coop oh, there was like an area where it looked like a a bonfire area and he would dig up that area and just throw the kids bodies there
0: yeah that was that was one this is the first one though they don't do the same thing with this one though but you are you are correct though on the on the other ones, and we'll get to that. But what they did was the two and this is this is unimaginable, but freaking Stewart made Samford uh build a fire and on that same area that Gabby was talking about, and he made him take a shovel and pretty much bash the skull when the when the meat fell off the, the skull Bashed the skull so many times until it almost vaporized into dust, and it would blow away with the rest of the ash. Yep. Wow. So here's another twist in the story, because we're still not up to the movie part. We're getting close to the movie where it actually starts. But the next morning, Stuart left for Los Angeles to visit his parents, and on the way, on a remote stretch of uh, road leading into Los Angeles. They just took the body out of the back of the trunk and dumped it in a ditch. Um, Samford sat in the front seat, scared, thinking, how long would it be till I'm that same body in the ditch? So Mm. just a day later, or, or just a couple days later, February 2nd, 1928, a farmer on Puente Boulevard, when driving by the ditch, his dog was walking outside of the tractor and he was on top of the tractor, and the dog ran over to the ditch. He saw, and that's where the, um, the farmer jumped off the, the tractor, walked over, and saw the small decapitated body. He alerted the local sheriff, and um, as he was at the same time as this was going on, Stewart and Samford arrived at Stewart's family's house. At dinner, Stewart shocked his parents and shocked Samford when he told them about the murder. (gasps) Sam, Yeah, Samford figured that the mom and dad would call the cops or at least freak out. But both were very supportive of Samford, or not Samford, of Stuart, and the mother rushed to hug Stuart and vowed that she would protect him. She believed the story of... What a
1: creepy family. Yeah,
0: she believed the story of self-defense. So... Samford was crushed that his that uh, that the mother Louise uh, said that it wasn't Stewart's fault. At the same time, the sheriffs could find no evidence on the boy, or or, uh, no evidence of how or who the boy was, how he was killed, or the fact that uh, they had no identification. They thought he was, they only knew him as possibly a Latino boy, and that he was a son of a migrant worker. And they figured that the family had left the area, so that the police actually had put the case on on the shelf, basically like, well, the family left, the uh, you know something happened to the boy, and we're, we're never gonna find the family.
1: So they never got a missing child's report.
0: Nothing. Nope. Nothing. So on March tenth, nearly a month later, 1928, as Samford was tending to the farm, Stewart showed up. With a a nine-year-old boy, Walter Collins.
2: Oh,
0: man. Yep. The boy from the supermarket he had seen when he worked at the grocery store in the Los Angeles area. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So, Walter was the featured victim in the movie Changeling. Walter was now two hours from home, from his Pasadena home. And when they arrived at the farm, Stuart took Walter into the chicken coop and immediately sexually assaulted him. He was left out there chained up by himself. Samford heard him crying the first night and screaming most of the night, to where Samford couldn't sleep. So Samford at this time is getting getting pretty much deprived of of food for the most part, or at least the amount he should be eating. He's not going to school. He's working all day into the evening and then at night, you know, he's being kept up by the boy screaming. So Sanford is just, and then the stuff he's seen too. So, um, so, uh, Sanford wanted to spring Walter, but where would they go since they're so far from people? And just, and he, and his brother had a shotgun or his, uh, not his brother, his uncle. So right now Sanford is just, he, he doesn't know what to do. He's, Physically, emotionally shot and just terrified. Um, Yeah, so just a couple days later, though, however, here's where the plot thickens even more. And this part was not brought up in the movie as well. The movie actually depicted Walter as getting away for a little while and then them not actually knowing the full just of what happened. But the Uh the truth of this story is even more diabolical than the movie. So, Stuart's mom makes a surprise visit two days later. And she shows up at the house. And Stuart tries to keep her from the the, uh, chicken coops. And she knows something's up. She walks into the chicken coop where Sanford actually grins because he's thinking, okay, mom's going to see the little boy chained up. She's going to realize that this is a problem. And she's going to solve this. And maybe this is my ticket to get home. This is a ticket for the kid to get home. And we're all done, right? And mm-hmm. this is this is all you know, she can't be this myopic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh she grabbed Stuart and Samford and she walked them out in front of the chicken coop. What do you think Louise said to both of them? Ooh.
2: Finish it.
0: What do you think, Matt? You're
2: gonna have to- I'm going to say she said you're going to have to kill him
0: because, you know, you're going to get caught eventually. You both are correct. <laughs> you both are correct. Um, she would explain her plan, uh, stating to both of them that they all had to take part in killing Walter because they had to share the blame so that one would not rat on the other. So Stuart picked up the axe, and he hit Walter... Uh, with it for the first time, then Samford was forced to also hit the boy with an axe. He's still alive. Then Louisa de- delivered the death blow to the head. Samford was left to dig the grave while the mother and son went inside, cradling each other. And then he could hear the piano play as he's digging the grave for the poor kid. Oh
1: my God! That woman! Oh my God! Mm-hmm. Strangling.
0: Because, like I said, in the movie, they have Walter as a hero springing other kids loose. And then yeah. him getting eventually caught by Stuart again. But they never really say what really happened to him. But that's this is what really happened to Walter. And they, and they know why. And I'll tell you why later on in the story, how they know that's how it went down. Um, So this just... Dist-
1: I wonder that kid is so twisted.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: His mother's
0: a freaking psycho yep it's terrible so Samford was destroyed mentally like any hopes any like shred of hope he had of just returning somewhat to normalcy is gone and now he's feeling like a monster now he's feeling just as guilty as everyone else so he was shaking and <clears throat> and crying as he dug the uh the grave for the walters boy and it didn't help that the walters boy was still looking at him as he's digging the grave you know what i mean like the eyes were open um he just wanted to go home he was tired of everything he was a broken boy at 15 years old on march 5th exactly on march 15th the los angeles times reported the missing child walter collins His mother, Christine Collins, would never see her son again. In the movie, uh, she actually has a child claiming to be Walter a year later, and he looks like him. Or not a year later, a, a month later, actually. The Los Angeles Police Department do reunite the two, and she thinks that it's her son until she gets him into the bath, and she sees that the boy is uncircumcised. Walter had already been circumcised she went to the police who said no she was mistaken the police in those days were so crooked and taking bribes and working for different politicians and prohibition stuff that any good press was needed they got tore up in the Los Angeles Times a lot so when they made the effort to reunite this boy with Christine Collins it was big publicity they didn't want any bad publicity so the police chief even though knowing that the story had holes in it and finding out that basically it wasn't her son pushed it anyway um so one night the local pre the she went on the uh, show the local priest w- ran in the los angeles area on one of the news channels got a lot of ratings they berated and picked apart the police department and laid everything out as it was a false story and they just tried to give her a kid to pass off as her own well uh the corruption level in the police department, they didn't want it to go any further than it did. So when she returned home later that night, the police had their gang unit pick her up. And she was put in a psycho ward for women where they, yeah. had, they picked up other prostitutes, other derelicts, and crazy women. And they said that all she had to do was sign a paper saying that they, she got her son... Walter the that kid is Walter Jr. that's her son and she could be released. she refused and she was mm-hmm. given electric shock therapy her head was shaved she was beaten, heavily drugged up and just abused and left with the other psych- psychotic um, females in the ward for weeks. Um, upon investigation the local preacher with community activists spoke out, and were wondering where she had been. She had been missing for weeks. Her job didn't know where she was. They came down hard on the cops when they found out and got a tip where she was. They got her released. And um, But she had been in there for a couple weeks to know that a lot of women were locked up for no reason. And a lot of women were locked up too because their husbands were tired of them. And they had paid a little money under the table and got their wives admitted and then got rid of them so she couldn't leave those women in there so the positive of what came out of this is she became an activist herself and she actually through the courts freed a lot of women over the years that were wrongfully uh their civil rights were broken and the fact that the the women were falsely arrested and treated bad and they yeah they sued the city and all kinds of things were changed the police officials a lot of them were fired um, it was a monumental case. That's what came out of this is she became a super activist and she, uh, yeah, yeah, she wronged a, or she uh, righted a lot of wrongs. Um, but as far as the fake kid that was given to her, get this, he was a drifter. Uh, his father was a drifter and they were into the Chicago area and they basically, he read the newspaper one day. He wanted to get to Los Angeles. He looked a lot like the Walter Collins kid he did his, his research because he wanted to get to LA to hopefully meet his favorite radio show host, Howdy Doody. Um, <laughs> so he lied to get to LA. Um, he was eventually. You
2: get that kid
0: yeah, and he was a good actor, apparently. So <laughs> he fooled a lot of people. Um, he was eventually put in juvenile hall and then sent back to his father. Which his father was already in jail for committing some crimes in Chicago. So that was a great little pickup right there. But um, That part of the story, though, with her being incarcerated and all the stuff that happened to Christine Collins, that's all true. They didn't mess with that story at all. That, that's basically what happened. Um,
1: well, Angelina Jolie did a good job with
0: that. Yeah, she did. If you guys haven't seen it, like Gabby said, Changeling, it's an excellent movie. It's a tearjerker, too, but it's really good. Um,
1: I've been telling him, too, that I was surprised when you said the story. I'm like, oh, now he'll
0: watch it. Yeah, he, he, now that's now your homework, Matt. you got to watch the movie. Now's my homework. <laughs> so, um... Back on the farm, just a little while after Walter's death, Stewart would uh, return to the farm on May 16, 1928, with two boys this time. He kidnapped Lewis and Nelson Winslow. They had been at the boys' club making model boats. They were 10 and 12 years old. Stewart showed them into the coop the same way he did Walter. Sanford had hoped people would come looking for the boys since they looked middle class or upper middle class the way they were dressed and they looked like they were well taken care of so stewart knew that this um and 3 days later forced the two boys to write the letter to their parents saying they ran off to mexico and to me that doesn't sound like a good enough alibi you're 10 and 12 years old and you run off to mexico and your parents are supposed to be like okay you know what i mean yeah <laughs> no <laughs> i totally
2: agree on that one.
0: yeah exactly um Sanford was left to feed them food, and he left them paper to draw on. Uh, so Sanford was trying to give them something to just forget about what was going on. Um, Sanford knew that the boys were on borrowed time, knowing things wouldn't end f- for them good. Um, Sanford was heartbroken, and survivor's guilt had basically kicked in. At the same time, uh, he was still getting abused by uh, Stewart. So. Stuart was abusing these kids, and then he'd come back and beat him and stuff. So it, it, some things just weren't changing. Um, so one night, Stuart took one boy and started to bash his head in and forced Samford to finish him. Then they reversed roles, and Samford beat the other boy first. Then Stuart finished that boy off. And before the beatings, they had been getting sexually abused by Stuart. Um, Samford would recall that as they dug the ditch, or as he dug the ditch, they rolled the bodies into the hole that he dug, and he could hear one of the boys gasping for air. <gasps> they were, yeah, one of them was at least, one still of them was alive? Still, still alive, yeah. Um. Stewart then grabbed a shovel, and he threw dirt on the boys, laughing at the same time. Wow. Uh, June 1928, Stewart wanted to amp it up a bit. He signed up for the Salvation Army. He volunteered to be a mentor for kids and a place for a family hard on their luck to stay. Because remember, this is like in the depression days around there, you know. <clears throat> a lot of people had it rough. Um, or close to that time. So his plan was to kill the entire family. Um, the doll family came to the ranch just a month later a father, a mother, and three kids. Samford pulled him aside and said, you don't want to do this, man. You will get caught. It's way too risky. Killing an entire family is too much. He was trying to protect the family, Samford said, and it worked. After Stewart punched him, obviously, because Stewart can't be wrong, he took his beating. He, deci- San- he decided Samford was right and took the family home, saying that the house was too small for such a big family. So he took the the family, thankfully, back to the um, Salvation Army. Um, hmm. so later in no- well, they were close. yeah, they were close. He was closing in on killing all five of them. Um, so later in November of twenty uh, of uh, nineteen twenty eight, Stewart focused on a fifteen year old that he had seen at the gas station, and he gave up on the fa- when he gave up on the family. His name was Stephen Black. He began to obsess over the boy. But as this was happening, Sanford's older sister, Jessie came to the ranch unannounced. This is a couple years later. She just showed up. So concerned over the letters that didn't sound like her brother, Jessie, as she saw her brother um, in person for the first time in almost two years, he looked skinnier, had not grown and he was dirty and appeared that his left eye was a little skittish and was just scared. And he had bruises and cuts and obviously the burn mark th- from the water that was on his back it was boiling hot water um she knew now that stewart was a snake and was abusing her brother Stuart, when he got home tried to keep them separated but during the two nights that she stayed there she snuck into sanford's bed and was told everything by sanford and about the the abuse and about the killing of the kids at first it was hard yeah. for her to believe but she knew, just looking at her brother, that he was telling the truth. So Je- so Jesse tried to get him out by buying a bus ticket and a boat ticket up the coast. But she didn't have enough money. Jesse called and pleaded with Stuart's father, George, who was the only one to tell him no. And she told him part of the story. And surprise, surprise, the father actually believed it and without the mom being there thought for himself and decided I have to do the right thing. So, yeah. So, um, as Jeff, as Jesse, um, um, what is it? As Jesse said, meet me at the plan was for her to meet him at the, uh, or for, for him to meet her at the docks. George was going to pick up Samford while, um, Stuart was away in town and they were going to go to the docks and he was going to get dropped off there and they would take off, Together, back to Canada, and so I'm what? I'm
1: expecting something bad with the way you're saying. What's supposed to?
0: <laughs> yeah, see, you're catching on. <laughs> oh, Todd. <it's all> right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, everything was working though. Everything was going to plan. Um, as Jesse left, George, uh, George would actually show up an hour later, and she and he picked up Samford. No questions asked. And but as they were on their way to Los Angeles, Stuart and his convertible just happened to be driving down the same road, but the opposite way. He turned around violently and started chasing his father's car. His father's car was not a convertible. It was an older style car. And the father tried to step on it. But back then, the convertibles and even to this day are faster than regular cars. Stuart caught up to the two and actually forced them off the road. Um his own dad his own father. Um so his father had never seen him in a rage like this. He'd seen him throw tantrums, he's seen him, you know, act like a baby and whatnot. But Samford actually used his size at this time, who was bigger than his father, and he basically said, you know, give me Samford, else you're gonna get a beating of your life. Like he threatened his own father. Um The father at this time just had no, you know, he's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Sanford's not gonna stick up for himself, he's a twig himself. He just grabs Sanford and drags him back into the convertible, and they head back to um, the ranch. Um, at, at this time, Jesse was already at the shipyard and she was waiting for Sanford. She actually was told by the deckhands that if you don't get on the boat now, we're gonna leave you. She waited till the very last second, but in her mind, she kept thinking that George betrayed her, the father betrayed her, but it wasn't like that. So a few days later, she gets back to Canada, and she realizes what happens because there's a letter there waiting for her from George who actually told her what happened. So she went to immigration. This is where she's smart, uh, in Canada. And she said that her younger brother was a Canadian citizen And was not an American at all and for that reason he should be transferred back to their care and brought back back home and she also told them of the stuff that happened they didn't believe that all too much but what happened was a few days later a telegram came down to the Los Angeles Police Department from the Canadian consulate that the investigations needed there needed to be an investigation of a possible homicide plus rapes and you have an immigrant down in a Canadian immigrant in your area you need to investigate he's a youth or whatever Um, the detective credit to him actually took it seriously at first he didn't think some of the LAPD were just like okay this is a little overblown seems a little far-fetched but they grabbed a group of uh, police officers six of them and they drove out to Wineville And uh, as they got there, the ranch was deserted. And they searched the house, and it seemed to be empty. The only thing that was in there was a piano. Uh, One of the officers, though, had the right sense of mind to check the chicken coop. As he went in there to the chicken coop, Samford was in the corner, chained up against the chicken coop. And he looked really bad. Wow. Yeah. Um, The officer picked him up after cutting the, um, the uh, chain, and he started to cry. Uh, Stewart had packed his things up three days prior and left the house, leaving the boy by himself, chained up in the chicken coop, to die.
1: So uh, he had been there for three days already?
0: Yeah, three days. He was already in bad shape, but Samford had put him in the chicken coop, locked him up, and left him to die for three days with no food or water. Yeah. Wow. So had the cops not shown up, he would have been an- another dead body out there. Yeah. Um Exactly. So the police rushed him to the hospital. It took three weeks for him to get his strength back. And as he was getting his strength back, he was talking to the police almost every day. He was shown pictures of uh, missing or abducted children. He pointed out 20 Twenty, oh, wow. yes, and um, the police were baffled. They couldn't. They they figured that was too much. There's no way. Um, but but uh, Samford insisted. So on September nineteenth, nineteen twenty-eight, um, at the same time while he's in in jail, Stewart was arrested. Um, or not in jail, but at the same time Samford was in the hospital. Stewart was uh, arrested at the border trying to get back into Canada. Uh, At his arraignment, his mom took credit for Walter Collins' murder and was given a life sentence. She thought this would get her son off. But poor Sanford um, said that there was at least 20 kids murdered. But before the trial and when he was up for it, they took Sanford back out to the ranch. They were able to find the clothes of four kids and they were able to find, the uh, obviously link the Mexican body or they thought was a mexican little boy to the the other three white children that were found so there was four deaths that they can ensure um uh what he caught put to stewart as far as him being the murders of but they couldn't find any other evidence linking the other children so um did
1: it happen like the movie where like he they made him dig up to where they had buried the bodies.
0: No, that part was like for more uh dramatic stuff. It was basically oh, okay. Yeah, it was basically they had Samford just point. And then oh, as okay. soon as he pointed they dug a little bit and they were able to find bones and stuff. Um and they actually found all the clothes of all the victims behind the house. Like there's a picture I'll post where it's just it's just sitting on a rack. Like they're like they're hanging like, like someone did the wash. All the all the kids' clothes are just hanging on the rack. It's it's kinda creepy. Yeah. Um, so Stewart was charged with the four murders. Um, and then the abductions of the other kids were kind of up in the air. They couldn't really charge him because they had no evidence. Sanford insisted, though, that there was more kids that were missing, more kids that were dead. He had seen them in the car with him. He, he, so he figured any boy that was in the car with my uncle w- didn't survive. <clears throat> so Stewart was given the death sentence and was to be hanged. Um, let's see. Uh, he was so Stewart was uh was hanged in San Quentin Jail, 1930. Um, he had one request, and that was to play the favorite, famous uh, or favorite phonograph, piano uh, song, of um, his first victim that he molested, the uh, Claude's younger brother, way back in the day. Um, he used to play that song for him. It was called "Song of Songs." And he requested that boy uh that that be played at his um hanging so he could hear that before he died, and of course the prison said no because that would have you know given him something yeah. he he wanted um says shove it up your butt. yeah, exactly, so like in the movie though um what really does happen too is that Christine Collins actually visits um, Stuart in in San Quentin just a week or or a couple days before his his hanging. And basically, he told Christine that he would tell her where Walter is because she kept telling the press that, I know my boy's alive, I know my boy's alive. And she kept freaking out about it. And he was supposed to give her finality and tell her that it was over and that he was killed. And even with the courts and everything else like that, she still didn't believe it. She just wanted to hear it from his mouth. And he clammed up and didn't tell her anything. So just like in the movie, he brought her all the way out there and he told her nothing, and she freaked out. And she wasn't going to go see his his actual, um, what he um him put to death. But she wound up staying in town, and she was there for the hanging. So she saw him get hung. So um, another side note, as I finish up the story real quick, is the fact that, you know, this is out by you guys. But there's also a part that links where I live, Whittier, to the story. And that is... What? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Samford at this time again, he was arrested as well um because he did admit to taking part in the in the in the uh, murders. But they did I would never him. They did know that yeah, like you said Matt though, but they did notice or note take the fact that he was being abused and that he was a victim for most of it. So what they did is they put him in a institation instator- Industrial school for kids or juveniles um, that had gone through bad things or had psychological problems, and that school is located in Whittier. You know that area where um, where they were doing the um, construction for the new shopping center by my house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there. Yeah. Right there. No way. Yeah, because that area had been there since 1887.
2: Dang.
0: It was a school and a prison for juveniles and for troubled youth. So – are you serious? <clears throat> yeah, he was took there. Um, the Institute helped kids and was far ahead of its time with that uh, had gone through trauma also. And that's the reason why Sanford was sent there. Uh, he stayed there for two years and he was re- uh, released to his family in 1933. Now here's where it gets good. Um, he, he married a woman named June McGinnis in 1935 where they stayed married till death and in 1941, however, he enlisted in the Canadian Army and served honorably for 4 years for the Canadian Army till 1945. When he returned, him and his wife wanted to have kids, but he clearly had the state of mind of not wanting to do this because of his genes, because of the murderous things that were in his genes, he did not want to pass on to his lineage and his uncle's psychotic behavior, his you know, his um, his mom's behavior. He felt that there was something wrong with his genes. So the honorable thing that this man did and his wife, they adopted two boys. And they raised them as their own from, from uh, infancy. Mm. Um, mm. He was worried that his genes would ruin his own if he had them. So they both decided not to have children of their own, but to adopt. So they helped they helped two boys that would never have had, like, you know, a fair shake. Um yeah. It was until yeah, it was until years later when his father was almost you know up in age, that his uh, just a chance encounter at a campfire with his oldest adopted son, that he would tell him the entire story of what happened. And so what came of this is his son wrote a book, and it became a New York Times bestseller, "Road Out of Hell." He wrote the book, "The Memoirs of Samford," and but unfortunately Samford died on June 20th 19, 1991 at the age of 78 um just a month before the book was released um uh. yeah Samford never forgave himself and would often cry and he um he he basically had a hard time still um thinking of the things that he did and, and participated in so Um, But he lived an honorable life. You know, his family lineage is healthy to this day, you know, with his sons having their kids and their kids having kids. So I think he did an honorable thing, all things considered. Um, And the last part of this story, uh, the fallout in 1930, the city of Wineville, um, like I said, in the beginning of the story uh, just got so much bad press from the massacres that took place and the possible other victims that were never found. Because they were never found, those boys were never found. Um, they had to change their name, and it, and in one uh, one day they just passed it in in their local Congress of passing the uh, the changing of the name to Mira Loma, California. Um, and by the way, the land that the ranch sat on all those years ago has been mostly developed. But guess what? Still sits there till this day.
2: The chicken coop. The chicken
0: coop. Nope. the actual house the actual house is sitting the same way and it looks the same exact way it did in 1928 and the people that live even there now even now it's it, like you can see like there's a developed house to the left you know looks all nice it looks like you know like any other house you would see that gets developed in Vegas or whatever, two-story, whatever. And then you see this little ranch coop house just sitting on a little small land, <laughs> a one-and-a-half-bedroom home. Wow. And it's funny because if you YouTube it, a guy actually goes there, and it's a Mexican family that lives there now in the house. And they had no idea till the guy told them of what happened in that house. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Where
2: is it?
0: It, I'll give you the address. You guys it's right off the um right off the fifteen freeway, just south of the ninety one. Yeah. It's yeah, it's 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 creepy to drive by it, dude. It's the exact house. So
2: You drove by it before?
0: Yeah, I drove by it. I had to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we might have to too. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I always wondered because um I did see the street last time wineville mm-hmm. and i thought about it i was like i wonder if i go down the street if i'm gonna fuck in the house but i thought like by now they probably destroyed it something else is there
0: Now, nah, for some reason um the land was developed around it but that house still sits there so it's it's creepy because someone took a side by side almost the same like um stance from the picture from the crime scene photos to now and the only difference that you could tell in the house is there's a satellite dish on the newer one. That's it. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that's about it. So
1: That is crazy.
0: Yeah. So that's the Wineville well, chicken I mean, coop order. But
1: Stanford, I mean, Stanford, his, I mean, you would think with all that trauma, it was like kind of dangerous that he might continue that behavior because that's what he knew now. Mm-hmm but he did good. Yeah. I cannot imagine living with that guilt and, and the nightmares the man would go through.
0: Absolutely. That's as, um, unimaginable terrors that he experienced. But like you said, the positives that came out of it with his family and then the positive with Christine Collins also becoming an activist and taking part in things to make changes in the city. So, I mean, there was all these atrocities obviously, but, At least there was glimmers of hope and things that, you know, um, were helpful to others in the future. But just it was just a bad time. And and that whole this was a nationwide story at the time, you know, so it didn't just grab headlines here. Um, That's why they they made the announcement to change the name to Mariloma. That's why if you're in the Mariloma area, they don't want to take any kind of credit for that part of their history. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: So did the chief of police actually resign?
0: Yes, and there was also some that were fired in the in the police department as well because forced of, to step down, huh? Mm-hmm. That there was a whole big change because they were so the LAPD was. I mean, if people think they were corrupt now, I mean they were super corrupt okay. back then.
1: Yeah,
2: that's never changed,
0: huh? Nope. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Yeah, and in doing the research, yeah. like when you watch the movie, Matt like cause Gabby Art could probably pick up on some of the stuff that was different from the movie, but that's mm-hmm. the actual stuff that I did research on. And, um, it's, it's a little bit different. Like Clint Eastwood actually like brushed it up a bit to make it a little more dramatic. But, um, mm-hmm. but there's, but that's unf- the unfortunate cause in, in the movie he, they make it like he was convicted of all 20 murders of the kids or 25. Um, mm-hmm. but they just never found those other bodies. And, Samford Samford said over a two year period it doesn't make sense that he killed four only so I'm pretty sure he did kill more kids it's just they never found him and Samford didn't know where I guess um Stewart buried him mm. yeah so what a- well, go ahead.
1: well I'm glad he's dead
0: yes yes he uh he paid the price he got hung so Exactly.
1: It's still not
0: enough, time. <laughs> oh, I know. So uh, what is should it?
1: Should have castrated him first.
0: I was gonna say that Captain Castrate over there didn't get a chance to <laughs> to take care of business. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's awesome.
0: Dude, I could I could just I could just uh, picture Gabby with a gavel, you know, like as the judge, and then <laughs> these sexual things come up, and she's like, "Off with his balls."
1: The <laughs> <laughs> with this wheelie. This finger, exactly.
0: <laughs> oh man, if i if i was in front of uh judge gabby i'd be like oh crap there goes my balls or my other thing <laughs> it's, my <balls>. it's over <laughs> with
1: <laughs> if you guys were sickles like that yeah for sure You'd oh
2: yeah like that. <laughs> that's, that's, that was disgusting man that
0: was disgusting yeah any final thoughts on this one
2: my, uh, my final thought is at least he paid the price and he got what he deserved, which was death. Mm-hmm. Like, I know we not, you know, we're not judge and jury and executioner, but when stuff like that happens, there's no other picture but death. You can't help it. It's like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You can't imagine, like, how disturbing the experiences the kids went through, their fear, uh, his nephew's fear,
2: all of that. Like, and then when he buried that one kid alive, he was still clean to whatever air he pictured. That's just
0: that. Yeah, that's. I mean, it takes a special type of demon to do something like that. And,
1: oh yeah. Uh, they should have just allowed the parents of those kids to give him his death.
0: Yeah, sort of an eye for an eye, you know. Yeah,
1: that's what I would see as justice: hanging him. Yeah, I'm sure he suffered, but that's not enough.
0: It kinda of like like I don't know how many people are listening like are in to reading the Bible. I don't know how many would be listening to a show like this, but my point being is mm-hmm. back then when people would do dastardly stuff like that, you get stoned to death. So yeah. would would my question to you two would would be stoning a good, you know, way to kill a, a, an evil, dastardly person like this? You know
2: what? You know what? I would say yeah because technically you'd be hung. You might feel pain for about, I don't know, maybe one minute. Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I would say stone enough, because at least that torture. Because if you torture somebody, you should feel the pain of what you're inflicting to others. That's how I feel.
0: I can't disagree. I
1: yeah. I think hanging is like. If you fall hard enough, your neck snaps. There's not much of you suffering. That's just your body's reaction. That is true. So, it's not enough to...
0: That's just like your muscles tweaking or whatever. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, so it makes me mad. Like, no, that's not enough. That person needed more, more consequences for his actions. It's not fair that people get away with doing such horrific things. And it's as simple as, oh, hang him. no. Make
0: him suffer. Make him go through what he did. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's... uh, Some people actually felt bad for him because he was 24 years old and being sentenced to death. But, yeah, so... You know... (laughs) I don't
2: care if (laughs) he was six. Those
1: kids didn't even get to live their childhood. Yeah. What about
0: them? Yeah, I mean, and then just so many of those kids, like, were just picked up with the... The promise of candy, anim- seeing animals, things like that, and they're all gone. And they were—they na- didn't even come close to reaching their prime. And that's the sad thing. So I'm—I'm I'm totally with you guys. There should have been a, a more dastardly way to dispose of him. But hey, it is what it is. And-, and you know what?
1: It was another time, and everybody was more innocent, so it's understandable why. I mean there wasn't that much training for kids to stay away from strangers, mm-hmm. but no matter what, like evil has existed for a very long time. So I feel like this kind of story, like just teaches us parents a lesson, like teach your kids, I like, teach them, give them things yourself that you know, they're not going to need from anybody else because anybody that could tempt them with the dumbest thing that costs, calls the child's attention you can kidnap them and kill them and that's it, you'll never see your kids again
0: that's so true I mean that's that's so something I didn't I think even think it's of
1: important. yeah like we gotta teach our kids don't take anything from strangers if there's something that you want and if somebody out there offering it to you like don't take it like yep. parents should really be on alert taking care of their kids so that there's nothing anybody can give them that would end up losing their lives
0: yeah and I totally agree. This was this was a story that unfortunately a lot of parents back in that time um, suffered with because they never saw their kids again. And, and look what happens today when you know kids are missing just for a couple hours. How people freak out because and rightfully so because you have monsters out there that don't care. And um, another, oh go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was
2: gonna say another lesson learned is to actually listen to your kids. Because in the beginning, Stewart, or Sanford, kept begging his parents, like, hey, my uncle's a creepy, you know, he's a creep, I don't want to go. And even his big sister even told, tried to convince his parents, like, hey, you know, Sanford feels uncomfortable, maybe he shouldn't go, and they didn't listen, so that's another lesson, you know. Oh, yeah,
1: you know, you know they call guilty. Listen to
2: your kids, because... We don't, we, we might not see certain things that they see or might not feel certain things that they feel. And we might think, well, other oh, kids, eh, it's all right. Sometimes you just gotta lift, sit down and just listen to what they're saying, you know, and, and you know, act on it.
0: Absolutely. I, that's another reason why I wanna read that book. Uh, I haven't read it yet, Rolled Out of Hell. I do wanna read it for them. I wanna see how what happens if there's more stuff that wasn't discussed in other platforms that I found it. And then also how were the parents when he got back and released back into the family's care? Like, was there any regret? Did they apologize? Cause that from what I was trying to find, I couldn't find a source on that. So I'm, I'm interested to see if the book explains that. Cause I mean, <laughs> that's more than egg on your face, man. You could have prevented mm-hmm. your, your son from going I through that. I want to find Matt,
1: that book. What is it
0: called? Road out of hell.
1: Road
0: out of Hell. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it's Samford. Yeah, it's from what I heard. It's a new it's a New York seller, uh, New York bestseller, and it's also um, it's very descriptive. It's a really good read, and I I really want to get that one myself because he he goes into detail. It's his autobiography from start to finish, and he goes into great detail of what happened at the chicken coop.
1: Yeah, I would imagine that if I was in his situation, to be honest, I would develop a hate for my parents, and I would never want to see them again.
0: I, g- I agree. You left me here to die, basically. I'd be
1: like, you listened to that creep more than you listened to me, and now look at what my life had to turn out to be. Thanks. Like, you're horrible parents. I don't need you.
0: Absolutely. I would, I would gladly put them away and, or cut them off, and then my sister would be my biggest hero. She'd be my Superman because she helped me. Yeah. So if it wasn't for her, he'd be dead. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: definitely. He owed his
0: life to his sister. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's the show. Um, Pretty intense, huh?
2: Very intense. Very intense and very disturbing as well. Thank you, sir, Todd Fox, for breaking down that story. Mm Mm-hmm. And for those who enjoyed this story, thank you for listening in. And also, if you want to hear more from our... Recording, just follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Podbean, iHeartRadio, etc. Just look up Grinding True Crime Podcast, and there you can find some of our, our previous uh, recordings that we've done in the past. So, to wrap this one up, let's call it a day. This is one of your hosts, Maddie Matt, along with the narrator today, Todd Fox. And our uh, other host for the show, Gabby Gabby. And we are signing off, you guys. Have a good one and peace. Who
0: See ya.